welcome to Shanghai Zhan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing, and we will be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts. Coming to you directly from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Whitwam, and I'm Ali Kasmi. And in today's episode, Ali, we're talking about beauty with Carol Zhou. She is the senior vice president at Japanese beauty brand Shiseido and heads up innovation and investments. Which, by the way, is a really cool job. I agree. She has one of the most exciting jobs in skincare in China, finding new ways to connect with women through new products, new ingredients, and new ways to learn and improve skin health and beauty through apps and services. She's also an ambassador of healthy living. When she is not at Shiseido's digital lab, she's experimenting with what, Carol? <laughs> All ways to look beautiful. That's a good answer. She has a remarkable story. But before we get into that, Ali, I have some good news for you. We have reached eight thousand downloads. Can you believe it? You know what this means?、Amazing. It means it means two things. One, we are KOLs now, dude. <laughs> Wang Hong, Wang we Hong. are Wang Hong, and two, that probably means that we have to pay our taxes at some point, right? Well, if we start making money off of this, surely we will. I know, I know, but I'm, I'm obviously referring to Wei Ya's、uh, big tax bill that she had to pay at the 1.2 billion RMB taxes. I kind of on either side of the fence of things, either either one that it shows that she's making a pile of money, or like how could they skip that much taxes for What, so long? Yeah, I think it's important. I think people should pay their taxes. No, I agree. I'm just wondering. It's like so much. It's crazy. Where do you stand? Are you a, a Wei Ya fan or an Austin Lee fan?、Uh, Obviously, the two big KOLs in China. Well, I、to. haven't bought anything that's been promoted by either of them. I think a lot of the things that they do promote, they're not necessarily things that I would buy. Yeah, but as an advertising professional, where do you? We've we've used Austin a lot more than we have Wei Ya. Really? Okay.、Yeah. I'm kind of an Austin Lee fan, to be honest. It's not that I don't mind her. I just think Austin's amazing. Every time I watch his program, it's not very often. I'm just amazed at his ability to communicate. So hopefully he's paying his taxes. So keep him around a while. So happy New Year to everyone. Well, this podcast will actually come before, just around the New Year's.、So、we'll start with you, Carol. Do you have any beauty or skin resolutions for 2022? I have one of my projects currently is looking into、uh, medical beauty, so a lot of the <laughs> treatments currently. So I am planning to do so in、oh, the new year. That's great, Ali. What's your beauty、uh, resolution? Are we going to find out about what medical beauty is later on? <laughs> yes, I'm curious. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely, because it could be one of mine as well. You never know. What is your、uh, New Year's resolution? Look, I've、um, so I've quit smoking, and as a result, I I realized also in the in the、um, in the video shoot that we did last time that I gained a lot of weight. I'm looking forward to getting back onto the treadmill, doing a lot less work, and being healthier as well. So whether it's skincare or it's just You know, getting a bit trim—that'd be good. I actually changed dentist recently, and she hit me with veneers and whitening. So I'm thinking now it's just time to get my teeth all fixed and and look like Joe Biden or Donald Trump and have <laughs> be like 70 plus years old, but have amazing teeth. Now I know how that's done. So、yeah. so Carol, please tell us a little bit about yourself. How do you got into the beauty business? What's your role at Shiseido? Sure, I got into. Kind of the whole beauty consumer products industry by accident. I was at NYU、uh, undergrad major. Oh yeah, NYU. That's a good school. <laughs> 
things. Majoring in marketing, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And luckily, I was recruited by Unilever、uh, in their management training program. So I kind of just started out. In working on Dove, which at the time was、uh, one of the very、uh, pioneers, yeah, you know, with the Real Beauty campaign, right?、Okay. So I that was my first job out of college. Great so, job, yeah. Yeah, so that's how I kind of got into the industry, and then. Afterward, I kind of just stayed, you know, kind of because I really liked what I was doing,、um, marketing, branding, and now, you know, with innovation. So just stayed what I was doing. <laughs> and was this in the U.S. or was that over here? That was in the U.S. The Unilever job. I came over to Asia 2012. Okay. So almost ten years ago. Was that also with Unilever? No, no. It was it was by myself. I actually just、oh, decided、wow. to come over. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Is all in China or in another part of Asia? Um, I I came. Uh, 2012 was in Hong Kong. So I came to get my MBA actually in Hong Kong, Hong Kong UST, and、um, decided to stay and work uh work in a、uh, Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, were you also still attached to the beauty business, or were you in hospitality at the time? No,、or? like well, so right when I came to Hong Kong, I was studying, and then、okay. uh, before I even finished,、uh, got hired actually by Burberry. So、okay. um, Burberry at the time was taking back their license of beauty license, so to run an in-house. So they needed someone to kind of you know run their they call it fifth division. I stayed in the beauty business, but、right. through、uh, for for Burberry for Asia.、Right. So you're still attached to beauty with Unilever. With Burberry、Correct. and now with Shiseido.、Uh, yes. I mean, of course,、um, you've got Chinese roots, Asian heritage.、Mm. Lived in Hong Kong.、Mm. Um, was that the first time you ended up designing campaigns or thinking about the Chinese consumer? Was that after you came into China? Even、oh, so, after Unilever, I worked at L'Oreal as well. So even at the time, we were developing products and brands for the Asian market. So I always had this kind of connection to Asia,、uh, you know, China, Korea, Japan. At the time, Japan and Korea were、uh, w- w- like they were the leading countries for beauty, right? Like all the trends were coming from. Korea and Japan, and China just follow them. So it wasn't until I think 2013-14 is when China started to kind of gain more, much more、uh, beauty. I think consumers here are learning much more about beauty, and they're、um, really now is they're leading the trends. So、yeah. it's kind of fascinating to see. Yeah,、um, exciting. So I guess that kind of leads me to the second question, a bit more naturally,、mm. um, which is more around. So, what is it that Chinese women want when it comes to beauty? <laughs> They want everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the the Chinese women, you know, the, their needs are very.、Uh, they change very often. It's really quick. It's something that takes maybe years in Western markets or in Japan to develop here peaks and. Be gone in within months or a、wow. year, right? So, but I think there is this whole level of I want to improve myself. There's always this like I I want the latest and the best thing so I can look my give best. Give us an example. Give us a little bit of text. Like what would like what was really surprising for you when you know through some of the research or things that you've uncovered in many years of marketing. What's been exciting for you? Like this one thing that you thought, wow, I had no idea. I'm quite excited about how Chinese women have become much more confident and more believe in much more diversity in beauty. Because I think you know, even ten years ago, it was very much about I want this really, really pale and very white, very, very skinny, and everyone needs to look the same. You know, I think at the time,、uh, Fan Bingbing, for example, right?、Mm. She was the model everyone was 
look like her and all the girls would go get plastic surgery to look like her so it was very one-dimensional but I think now people are really embracing their own unique individuality no matter you can have a little bit tan skin you can have your eyes doesn't need to be like double eyelids anymore they actually embrace their own unique features I think that's something really exciting and you see that in the way that brands are coming out with campaigns too they're using you know they're using real people or or actresses or kols that might not look perfect and they represent real women uh, which was my first campaign with dove right like 20 years later china finally kind of (laughs) keep you know believe that right Mm, yeah so that's pretty exciting when i see that kind of trend happening i think it's that there's really something, it's a transformation, it's an evolution of the of the beauty. But then at the same time, there seems to be this negative feedback from brands that actually embrace this. If they don't show someone that's not re- representing quote unquote Chinese beauty, there's a lot of negative feedback. How is it that brands can embrace diversity without having to possibly feel some ramifications from the conservative side of things who who are still holding on to some kind of traditional Chinese beauty ethic. I think it's a delicate like balance because I think some consumers feel that the brand needs to come from a very authentic place. For example, the Zara incident, right? Like Zara used a girl who has a lot of freckles. Uh, yeah, for that. that and then she, they got a lot of backlash, right? Because a lot of people think oh you know she doesn't represent a beautiful Asian woman yeah yeah. Chinese girl like why should she have all these freckles right I think they think that for Zara to do that it was not authentic didn't feel like they're putting her in the best way forward but then if let's say the brand like Nei Wai or you know where it's coming from pro-female like we're embracing diversity perspective and not to put them up for display you know it's just like this is natural it's received differently so I think it's how you kind do you think it's the origin of the brand? So if a Chinese brand celebrates true beauty from a Chinese lens, a bit more authentic. Definitely, it's yeah. An, it's, it's a non-Asian brand, then it's sort of questioned a bit more. If it's a non-Asian brand, then you have to be more careful. Careful. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you have to be more careful why you're doing it and what is the purpose and then just to start. But I think you have to be able to be brave sometimes too. Mm. I remember when, when brands started to use Liu Wen, and there was a lot of controversy about that because she didn't have the double eyelids and the people questioned whether that she was beauty in terms of a, a foreigner's point of view. But yeah. I mean, certainly recognized as, as But a, isn't that like, I mean, I, I'm just going to do a little bit of mental math. I'm not really good at math and therefore I'm in marketing. But, but isn't that just the thing? You do Zara type advertising where you use an Asian girl with freckles and you create that controversy. Isn't that part of marketing and advertising? And isn't that you kind of attaching yourself or associating or you know being able to find that association and go slip through the cracks of social media and find that person the consumer that really likes what you're trying to endorse so i think that's kind of a good thing yeah i mean i think you know even when we did the dove campaign right there a lot of people were saying oh my god that's just not beauty you know what are you guys doing it was only to start a debate we want to kind of have a debate about beauty and you know it should be widened the definition of beauty should be like for everyone so Correct. i think just having a debate is it's healthy the fact that we had a podcast last week with richard talking about sustainability the one thing that richard mentioned one of the things pushing sustainable issues is this health movement and being healthy and exercise and what obviously if you start working out you start worrying about what you eat and what you put on your face and this also affects beauty trends is that something that you're seeing as well definitely 
definitely, I think clean beauty, it's very hot in the US, right? Everyone's, you have to be almost like everyone needs to be clean. Uh, China, I think the concept of clean is still very new in China. Um, most of the consumers are still seeing clean beauty as more ingredient based or is it um, product you know, packaging? Yeah. And I think consumers in China so far, uh, you know, from what I see are more focused on things around them if it affects them personally right like if the thing is ingredient in the in the formula affect myself uh you know my health or anything around me but when you're talking about oh my god this product or this brand is about the world most of the time it's too the idea is too far away for them that is not that impactful yet so uh, you know they're willing to are they willing to pay more for something that's clean sure it's i think it's a it's maybe tier one cities right like they they actually care about these things but in general if you know two products right they're all the same efficacy and one is clean and one is not clean but then the one that's clean is two times the price i think they will they will still choose to buy the one that's lower price because it didn't affect them that much so i think it's still still ways to go still still ways to go but Mm -hmm. you know trends in china happen so quickly maybe in next year very quickly correct and it might be that you can always start with lipsticks for example i mean that's that's a less expensive product. You know, it can be made sustainable. Um, barrier to entry as a sustainable kind of beauty product, I guess. Lipsticks easier. And I also think that the government also have a lot to uh, play in this whole thing. Because if you look at, for example, just the whole health, talking about fitness, health, the health movement in China, it's the government is the one that has created this huge increase in the number of gyms that we're seeing part of the five-year plan exactly right so they're when i used to come to china maybe 2012 there's like no gyms like nobody worked out it was like you know one yoga studio right maybe you could talk a little bit about what innovation is in the job that you're doing is actually product is it the experience is it could be that true yeah yeah. there's a lot of different ways why was even thinking that shiseido might have outside brands that are looking to that they are creating some innovative product, but they're using the platform of Shiseido to, there you to go. get That's a push. One. Maybe talk a little about what you're doing. You know, when I first came to Shiseido, this role didn't exist. So I had to start off with clean slate, clean yeah. slate right? So I had to write it. And basically, innovation is so big. So all the brands I already have, of course, they have to constantly innovate. What I work on actually is much more beyond the current brands. So we look at new, new areas, new categories, for example. So above and beyond, just uh, topical skin. What about other categories that we want to play in? So ingestible beauty, for example, supplements, uh, beauty food, um, that's an area that we're not in in China. So uh, let's develop something around there. Um, Medical beauty, like I said, we're not in that area yet. So why don't we touch upon? So adjacent spaces that make sense for the company. And then both internal and external. So internally, we will incubate our own brand. So we are launching an ingestible beauty brand in Liu next year um, that we incubated ourselves and our team and then externally is you know there's so many new startups in China and they're really fast they're, they're growing tremendously so we would like to invest in them and then potentially one day we can all work you know be part of the portfolio so it's multiple of ways to kind of built new businesses. So talking about medical beauty, can you just explain that a little bit and, and give us a little bit of context of what that is? Yeah, sure. Um, when I speak of medical beauty, it's really about this intersection of medical treatments, which makes people 
look beautiful. Are we talking about aesthetic? Uh, aesthetic is, yeah, more like so includes both aesthetic medical treatments as well as okay. plastic surgery. So okay. there, it's like the whole industry is called medical beauty. But okay. in particular, for what we're looking at is the non-surgical part. So like the fillers, the Botox, micro, yeah, like fillers. Botox fillers, the skin treatments, right. the thermage, all these energy treatment, laser. Uh, also, Did you say energy treatments? Yes. What's that? Those are like machines that gives uh, that uses radio frequency to lift your skin or you know make your skin regenerate collagen. Oh, um, I really want that, Bryce. Yeah, that's all you, man. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I I try to get that from watching a lot of television, but it's not really helping. So doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> they have those at home, you know, those at home machines now. Uh, so it's like a, at home, you can wear those masks. And the mask can give you a lot of different benefits through the, the lights. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of those products, or not those products, I've seen something that looks like that at airports. Is that one of the new innovation streams that you're working on as well at Shiseido? We actually, we, we just recently launched a medical device okay. uh, brand, Effectum as well. So so we are you know extending to the areas that are adjacent because we see that consumers, not only are they getting medical treatments at hospitals and clinics, but they're mm-hmm. also doing these maintenance at home using these gadgets, right? Because in the future technology and beauty is going to be one very the yeah, yeah they're the same right Look, so my, yeah mm. no one of the things that i've actually noticed is that my wife before she goes to bed she has this little device that massages her, that she massages around her face before she goes to sleep oh, and then okay. she has another one as well that she uses in the washroom but she's got one for one for the washroom mm. and one for the bedside and they're two completely different devices but apparently they they help with the regeneration of collagen mm. and all that Hi, Ali and I hope you enjoy Shanghai Zhang, the only marketing podcast coming to you from China. Now you can help support Shanghai Zhang by becoming a patron. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help support all the great marketing content that you hear on Shanghai Zhang. Simply go to our website, zhangstation.com. That's Z-H-A-N station.com and click on the patron link at the bottom of the site. You can also go directly to patreon.com slash shanghaizan. That's p-a-t-r-o-e-n dot com slash shanghaizan. Thanks. We appreciate your support. With clean beauty and, and diversity, are we seeing more beauty options that are less evasive, that are not about getting plastic surgery and changing uh, changing your, your face, or is that still quite popular in China? Definitely the non-invasive part of medical beauty is growing faster, but there is still a lot of invasive plastic surgeries in China, but mm. it's just the non-invasive part is growing uh, faster. Quicker. Yeah, and quicker. And I, I would imagine that's also part of COVID. You can't really leave the country. But there's also this thing that you mentioned earlier when we started off. You started talking about how confident women are with the way they look. Mm. And so maybe that also has something to do with this. They, I think they're confident in terms of they want to retain back in the day, right? They want to, they go into the hospital and they're like, here's a picture of so-and-so. I want to look exactly like her. I want her nose, her eyes. But now what the doctors are telling me is consumers are just going in and saying, 
say, I want to look like who I am. Maybe I want to, you know, define my nose better, or I want to make my lip a little bit more fuller. But they don't want to look like someone else. You know, they're still wanting to maintain their own features, but improving them. We're always told that local brands. Are more innovative because they can go faster to the market than global brands that take a lot of time. Do you do you find that to be the case, or are global brands kind of stepping up now and they realize that they have to move as quickly as the local brands do? And do local brands have an, kind of an advantage that the global brands don't? Okay, I'll start with kind of you know,、uh, for us, like you know, if I start with Shiseido, Shiseido、um, have many. Premium to high-end brands, right? So right. it's、um, they're usually, let's say, above I would say three hundred fifty RMB, upward to five thousand above, right? So it's like, but the premium sec. If you look at、um, how brands, the current beauty brands in China,、uh, most of the luxury or the high premium、uh, brands are dominated by international players because that was always the way, right? When when foreign brands first enter China, they're usually higher priced. But now, with all the new startup, all the local players started. They have grown so fast, but they are competing usually in a mass market. So they first they differentiate on price point. So consumers in China, as much as they want to support local brands, they're still not willing so far to pay the price. Because a lot of people ask me about, oh my God, do you see competition between you know Shiseido versus the local players? But yet, if you look at just Double Eleven or all the Tmall data, there isn't one local player that's able to charge premium pricing that can compete with the international players yet. So that's this price point. But in terms of the question around innovation, I think they both innovate because the, the good thing about large international players, you know, we have a lot of history, we have a lot of heritage, and there's a lot more brand stories that we can tell. But again, because we're so big, we're not able to really find out about the trends that's happening quickly. But startups are different. They're the local players. They're they're much more fast in detecting the trends, and they can make. Movements faster because sometimes they don't have to go through the rigorous testing for a formula. For us, we, it takes us like almost one to two years to launch a product because you have to go through so many testing to make sure it's good. But a local player can just literally put a, a product up without much testing because they're able to do it faster. So that's like the, the areas that definitely they're moving faster and they're able to detect consumer insights quicker. Do you think that skincare is usually something that's more difficult to compete as a local player than, let's say, cosmetics?、Mm. Because skincare, in my mind, requires lots of R and D. If you look at a NARS or an IPSA product, the, the amount of R and D and technology in the even in the communications is amazing. I, I think that Chinese women are dime store dermatologists. Sometimes they really understand a lot of skin issues that even I have no idea. About yes,、uh, I think skincare is definitely more technical. It's much more personal because I think women, you know, in terms of if you buy like let's say lipstick or eyeshadow, it's very trend driven. There's no pressure to switch around. Many times, if whether it's a、like、hundred RMB or like three hundred, they can change it very easily. But I think for skincare, it's very hard to find something that suits your skin. And once you find it, it's you know usually you stick with it. It's very hard. For someone to switch skincare, it's very、uh, it's consumers very are much、personal. more yeah very personal and much more brand loyal into the skincare. Some of the smaller local brands, if you compare them to 
the global counterparts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about direct-to-consumer. I mean, in fact, 90% of brands now in China are direct-to-consumer, right? Who's not direct? Even Pizza Hut's direct-to-consumer. In the context of these kind of startup direct-to-consumer brands, what do you think is the big difference between the ones that back in Philadelphia versus the ones in China? Is there a big difference? In terms of the actual performance, to be quite honest, they're all very similar. I mean, you know, not. I don't think there's a big difference between, let's say, a local brand's a skincare moisturizer versus the actual base formula is very similar. However, one of the advantages that, let's say, for example, Shiseido has, or like a like a Western, you know, American brand is, they have a certain patent technology that gives it a different feel or texture that has a very easily application you know it, it could give you a better experience to apply the product so i think those things the local players so far hasn't invested that much into developing yeah. i remember when we worked on one italian cosmetics brand it was about especially in skincare it was making sure that you would communicate or at least that we got to communicate on the fact that it was metal free the fact that the source of water was, you know, in the Alps somewhere. You know, there were doctors that had kind of had regulated the the balance of hydration versus whatever other active ingredient existed within it. Because it goes into that type of detail. And are you saying then that, you know, China doesn't have the water source? No, I think I think China definitely have them. It's just, the, you know, it's the storytelling part, right? It's about the brand building part. It just takes time to build a brand. And the other players just had so many years ahead of China. China is like a, I always tell people, China is such a baby market. You know, you just open to the public. I mean, you open to the world in starting early 80s. So it's barely 40 years. And then brands start entering China barely 20 years ago. So literally, you know, you're trying to compete, like for example, for Shiseido, we've been around for 150 years. So (laughs) consumers knew about Shiseido for over 150 years versus the brands currently, all the local players started five years ago or six years ago. So it's a very short amount of time. So it needs time to build the trust the repeat purchase. They didn't have time for that. Another question I always have is the impact of new retail and online. I guess a lot of people would say that the foundation of e-commerce in China is beauty. There's no question that most of the beauty categories are the big profit makers for Alibaba. With that in mind, and we're seeing a greater percentage of beauty being sold online. What's the role then of, of, a, of a retail environment? Is it still important? How do the retail online and the offline coexist and interact? I think beauty always will need to be in person as an experience because you know you're you're you have to experience the product. So I think offline is a huge part of making the brand experience come to life. Um, you have to have a mix of both, right? I think the first engagement for me, discovering a new brand, I like to actually try the product and, and smell it <laughs> and touch it, right? But some people are different. Maybe they, they see a very interesting doing video and they like, oh, I you know this is a fun, cool thing. I want to try it and it's easy. So consumers have different options to get to know the brand you know like the awareness portion could happen anywhere but it needs you need to have a balance of how do you you need to reach them whenever they want to reach you or whenever they need it so you need to be everywhere right so (laughs) it's it's having a balance how much of how much of that is um you know i want to look like that 
right versus all the stuff that you just said so it's sort of like maybe because of social media and maybe because of instagram maybe you know trends are being created more by what other people see and less about how it really really makes you feel and so how important is is the brand story in in modern context i think the categories are different so you know for for definitely for makeup i think it's very much about how you know different what what suits your your look right well what do you want to look like right skincare i mean yes you still want to improve the condition of your skin but it's much more personal people don't usually know like it's like i use you know Shiseido or L'Oreal, they wouldn't know unless I tell you, right, what, what skincare I use. But I, they can tell if I'm wearing a certain type Shade. of lipstick. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's that the categories are different. But in general, different types of consumers, they their needs and wants differ as well. So you have to really understand who you're targeting as a brand and how do you reach them and can you keep them uh, always coming back. That's always the the rough part. I mean, we've been talking lately with a lot of you know industry friends. Like, it's so hard to run a brand these days because it's so hard for consumers to come back to you. First engagement is always much easier. I think that's what you said to me once. You said it's really easy to sell sell one time to a Chinese woman. It's the second and third time that's the real challenge. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. That's It's really tough. Do you think that COVID has affected the beauty industry in China differently from the rest of the world? Has it affected at all? Or is it basically everything's back yeah. to normal? I think affected from what I see two ways. One is really about um, it really propelled people to think health as part of beauty. You know, so before it was much more focused on a look. Now it's really like I want to be healthier. Like skin needs to be healthy. So it's like a refocus on that. And secondly, because people can't travel internationally anymore. And in the past, when they travel internationally to Japan and otherwhere, they Korea. buy a lot of beauty products. <laughs> so now it's almost all internally purchasing, um, whether it's Hainan or somewhere, right? So it's mm. so. It, you see that there's a lot more discounting happening in especially this year yeah this year that's not very healthy have you found that this provided a little bit more legitimacy towards the local china market here versus before where a lot of their sales were not in china they always withheld hypothetically 20 30 percent of your marketing budget because chinese consumers were buying they were buying in korea or japan or duty-free in europe but now it's all done here. There's more money being spent on marketing in China than, than before. Well, we definitely see that China as a market has become bigger for us than before. Like it's much more important because the consumers here are purchasing all internally in China. Are you seeing a lot of men purchasing as well? or? Yeah, the male, the male market has definitely oh, no. been... What's a, what's a product that you would recommend a man? <laughs> like, what does Shiseido make for men? I'm curious. Shiseido has a whole line really? of, for men. Shiseido men. It, like, it what? Has, what does that include? What it includes that everything that woman will use. It has cleanser, toner, eye cream, day cream, sunscreen. <laughs> They're amazing the amount of, of tier one men that yeah. use skincare Care on products. a daily basis. I think it's close to 35%. 
It's very high. That's from yeah. what I remember. The basic regimen of anyone for skincare like is you moisture, hydration right. and sunscreen. That's right. That's it. We couldn't do a podcast now in 2021 without asking you about the meta universe because uh, for some strange reason is a big topic these days. What do you think beauty would look like in a meta universe? How's it going to change things? What, what would Shiseido do if it was doing something in an alternative visual life. I'm just going to put a little bit of texture into that question because that question is born from metaverse is an alternative reality kind of space. And all of a sudden you can be anyone you want to be. And if you can be anyone you want to be, then you don't really need to take care of your skin or you don't need to make yourself up. Right. And then I thought you can be forever 25 years old. Right. Yeah. And that's so then I said, but then what happens to all the beauty brands if if everyone lives in the metaverse? So anyway, so that that's the genesis of the question. Mm. What do you think? It's a kind of interesting thing because when I first started uh, Shiseido, they actually showed me a, an app. This is this is like 2019 before COVID. They actually had an app that's like a Zoom meeting app, but you can actually pick makeup. So for example, if you're having a meeting at home, you don't need to put physically put on makeup. <laughs> you can just choose. Amazing. Yeah, so it was very innovative at the time. And then I was like, wow, this is a creative idea. I mean, it's like a Snapchat thing, but really professionally done. Correct. Instead of putting putting rabbit ears on your head, <laughs> you can put on makeup. Correct. So it's like, you know, I mean, you, you can, can do, do that now with May too, right? Like when you talk to people and whatever. But they had that, you know, 2019 on the Zoom app thing so i don't know i think in the future yeah i that that is a possibility where you don't need to actually put on anything because in the metaverse you can just look like whatever you want to look like and pick whatever (laughs) hair color yeah (laughs) Yeah, so but then you could have an integration where you can buy your avatar looks right you can actually have your avatar go shopping and buy different types of lipsticks and hair color the experience would be in the metaverse but this is me just going a bit crazy now what if what if you could have that experience in the metaverse like totally personalize the shade of lipstick that you want or the shade of whatever it is Mm. and then you have it sent to order and it gets delivered home i think that'd be really exciting yeah right and then so whatever that character that fictional character you are in, in that alternative world, you can actually become in the real world. Yeah, if the tech is right. I mean, we have these like AI beauty advisors, you know, we already have these beauty apps that supposedly will detect your skin, whatever. But now the tech is not there yet. But in the future, I think it's very much there. Every time I go to one of those, they always say um, my my skin age is like 20 years younger than I really am. <laughs> so bring it on. Bring on <laughs> the like, tech. You like the tech. You like the tech that lies. Bring to on you. the tech. <laughs> so, Carol, this is the final part of our, our, our podcast. So we call this the A-B test. It's something that we do with each one of our guests. And A stands for Ali and B stands for Bryce. And it's really about two words. And you just give us the what you feel is the right answer, uh, the first thing that comes into your mind. So the first one, the Shanghai Sharks or the Philadelphia 76ers? Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, yeah. Sun or water? Sun. Laughter or lines? Laughter. Rest or recovery? Rest. Oh, here's my favorite. Rocky or Bruce Lee? Bruce Lee. Mm, interesting. Nutrition or skincare? Skincare. C beauty, letter C beauty, or J beauty? J beauty. 
Mm, interesting. <laughs> Product or brand? Brand. That's right. Commerce or content? Content. And finally, my favorite, Guizhou La Zizi or a Philly cheesesteak? A Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so Carol's, you grew up in Philadelphia. That's where all the Rocky and Philadelphia references came from. And then, of course, you were born in Guizhou, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Really, the Philly cheesesteak over the latzizi, right? I, I would because I don't really have Philly cheesesteak that often. Like once every few years, right? And and Guizhou, there's a lot better food than latzizi, actually. Oh, seriously? Yes. Oh,、uh, we just Shantangyu is my favorite. Oh,、uh, we just pulled like this the standard <laughs> thing from Guizhou that everybody knows. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Carol, thank you very much for joining us today. It was really amazing. A lot of interesting insights on on the beauty industry, and we appreciate your time. And more importantly, happy holidays and have a happy new year. Thanks for having me. Really great to be here and chat soon. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's episode on China's obsession with beautiful skin, with our guest and China's chief beauty business innovator Carol Zhou from Sesedo, China. Have a wonderful day and evening wherever you're listening from. Thank you for joining us on this week's Shanghai Zan, and join us next week for another exciting show as we talk about the China auto business. And until then, have a great day. <laughs>